WQHD HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. I'm so glad you're joining us for this live two-hour special episode of Street Soldiers and our continuing coverage of the coronavirus pandemic from the epicenter here in New York City. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me and follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Lisa Evers, and you can catch up on all of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, LisaEvers.com, and the Fox 5 New York YouTube page. Over the next two hours, we're going to be getting the latest on the coronavirus health issues with Dr. Manny. A lot of talk this week about testing, tracing, and isolation. He's going to break that down for us. Also joining us, top psychologist, Dr. Jeff Gardier. He'll be taking your questions on mental health and stress issues. And we'll be hearing from Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams on social distancing enforcement and the racial disparities that are emerging in the pandemic, along with many other related questions. We're going to be taking your calls, too, on health and safety issues as things started to reopen this weekend. Do you feel it's being done in the right way? Um, do you feel comfortable going out? Did you go out? Were you surprised by how many people were out and how many stores and things were open already? Give us a call right now at 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. We want to hear from you. We want to hear what your weekend's been like and uh, where you've been and what it looked like where you were at. Before we get to our guests and your calls at one 800 223 9797. I'd like to take a moment to honor the memory of Queens rapper Chinks, who was murdered five years ago today. His music lives on thanks to family, friends, and fans. His case is one of very few murdered hip-hop artists where the alleged killers were caught and arrested. That's due to his courageous widow, Janelli's diligent pursuit of justice, and the outstanding work by NYPD detectives at Queens South Homicide. I spoke with Janelli uh, this week in an exclusive interview for Fox 5 News at 10, and here's the radio version thanks to DJ Mike Medium and Jack the Mac. Today, Janelli Caceres Pickens is a frontline worker doing 12-hour shifts seven days a week in environmental and emergency services at a Long Island hospital. She wanted to help fight the coronavirus and also had to support her three children. They're all navigating this new normal. They're tired of being at home. <laughs> They're driving each other crazy. They're driving me crazy. You know, getting used to this whole school thing online and not seeing their friends. When Chinks' life was taken on May 17, 2015, his hit song with superstar rapper French Montana was on Hot 97 and life was looking lovely. But it all changed when a gunman took aim at his Porsche. Janelli fought to get answers and hasn't stopped. Thank God that I am busy with kids and work and all that. So I don't really have the time to go into depression about it. You just kind of have to just take it how it is and just roll with it and just keep your day going. After two and a half years of investigation, NYPD detectives from Queen South Homicide arrested Quincy Homer and Jamar Hill for Chinks's murder. Detectives say jealousy was the motive. Janelli has been in the courtroom every step of the way and says she will never give up. We've been going through this process for so long. And it's five years already, and it doesn't even feel like five years. It still feels fresh, like it just happened. So, I mean, it's a lot. Since her arrest two and a half years ago, those two suspects have been behind bars on unrelated cases. Those have to get resolved before the Chinks murder trial can move forward. No matter how long it takes, Janelli is vowing to see it through to the end until justice is done. In New York City, I'm Lisa Evers, Fox 5 News. 
And that was my report for Fox 5 News that was on the 10 o'clock news this week. If you'd like more on this, please go to our Fox 5 NY YouTube page. The link to that story with the video is up on my Instagram, at Lisa Evers, uh, link in bio. And uh, right now, let's get to the whole coronavirus pandemic, our continuing coverage uh, with Dr. Emmanuel Manny Fambu. He's a medical doctor and surgeon with an MBA, best-selling author of the book, The Future of Medicine, and a policy advisor on the coronavirus pandemic to key decision makers. Uh, Dr. Manny, thanks for being with us again. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Lisa. In terms of this, we've heard so much more this week about this mystery coronavirus illness possibly related to coronavirus that's affecting children. How do you see this? What's what's your take on this? Correct. So this is something that uh, doctors have been seeing in hospitals. Um, you know, but the key thing here is it affects a minority of, patient, of, of, of children, right? So when we first started off having this conversation, uh, there was this, uh, this uh, sense of kids were immune to this, right? Or, or kids were not uh, overly affected. We didn't have a lot of positive testing for kids. Uh, in this case, but we should know, yes, it, it is true that kids don't have severe symptoms in general, right? We haven't seen like a lot of kids being sick from this. Uh, and we also know that uh, there are fewer tests uh, in kids that have been positive, but that could be explained by the fact that we are prioritizing frontline workers to get tested, right? So it's not like we have some massive campaign testing kids. <laughs> so it's possible kids have been um, affected or infected and then they recovered without anyone knowing, right? And some, it's something that we could find out going down the road. But in this particular case, um, we know that there are some children that have been presenting to the hospital were not having the typical respiratory symptoms that we thought were associated with this particular virus. So if you think about the adult, uh, for example, having um, an infection with, uh, with COVID-19, what happens is you have respiratory kind of symptoms, right? We talked about those. Right. Correct. But in children, we are looking at uh, very different kind of symptoms that seem to be around the GI tract. So you have like diarrhea uh, or, or vomiting, right? And uh, and there's this whole description that it's like Kawasaki-like kind of uh, infection. And so uh, Kawasaki is an inflammatory condition that um, has been around for decades, uh, has been found um, more commonly in children less than five years of age. So this is independent of COVID-19. So we are not saying COVID-19 leads to Kawasaki. It leads to Kawasaki-like infection. So this could be a whole new thing that they really don't even know about yet. I mean, that w- that they don't have like a whole workup on yet or whatever you call it. Correct. But what we do know is, so if a child was sick uh, with this, so if you, you have a child at home and you're concerned about this, these children present as being sick, so they'll have high fever. So fever is over 102. Um, you, you'll find in this, in this particular patient population, you'll see them having like high heart rate and very low blood pressures, which is like, it takes them to that point of being shocked in the most advanced cases of this. So any pediatrician, um, they're well-trained, they should, be, they should be able to tell that this child is sick. All right, so in terms of the symptoms that we've heard, uh, we, uh, Governor Cuomo said, well, you know what? The, we, we, we've had three fatalities in New York State. Three children have died. It's a small percentage, but it seemed that a lot of the cases around the country, there's over 100 cases, that they were all, or the majority of them, happened to children who were in homes where there was a positive coronavirus uh, adult where somebody had had that. And then this happened, the, the kid got very sick, the child got very sick, like weeks and weeks, you know, like like weeks, a couple, like eight, in some cases, eight to nine weeks after that, right? Correct. And I've spoken to some physicians actually through some of these patients uh, directly. And I'll tell you, one of the key things um, that they mentioned was to present with this fever, like I mentioned, like a high, you have a high-grade fever, 
and they have these other symptoms. But mo the most important piece here is uh, why we're very concerned is the fact that this virus also um, uh, in, in children attacks the heart and causes something called myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart and its blood vessels, right? And that's where the main concern um, is. And so uh, many hospitals are, you know, creating this kind of care teams that have immunologists, uh, uh, you know, pediatricians and cardiologists uh, to be aware of this and if those patients come in to, to manage them. Uh, right, like I mentioned, uh, in the, in the extreme case of this, it's more of like, it's, think about it this way. When you get infected with this, when patients get real sick in kids, it's something called a cytokine storm in medicine, right? Which means your body. What is that? It's like, uh, your, your, your body is overreacting, right? So you, it's like, uh, sometimes you heard about toxic shock syndrome, right? Um, right. In women sometimes, right? right. Uh, same kind of reaction your body gets. So it feels like your immune system is overwhelmed, right? So all your immune system is trying to fight off this massive bacteria. So your body gets into shock. So it could be the children's, the children's immune system is dealing with the coronavirus, if that's in fact what it is, in their own particular way. Like their body's going into overdrive. Is that kind of? Correct. And, not and medical terminology, correct. That's but just exactly for what, what layman? That's the perfect way to do it. Yes. Like the, overdrive. The system's in overdrive. Correct. The kid's in overdrive. But here's, here's the thing with it that, that, um, some of the symptoms too, because a lot of kids get fevers, a lot of kids get, you know, uh, stomach aches, diarrhea, vomiting, all that, that kind of thing. A lot of kids get fatigued. We have many children here in New York City that have uh, respiratory issues like asthma, a lot of times because of environmental or whatever. But then there's this rash. So what would you say is a point where parents really need to be? Because, you know, they're with the kids all the time now because of the homeschooling and, you know, this remote, what they call remote learning. Um, what is there? Is there a certain combination of symptoms that people should be really worried about with their children? Correct. So if you look in terms of early symptoms, some things to be concerned about, right? Uh, so initially, I mean, you have fever, of course, like right? if your body, you have an overreactive immune system, you would, you would get fever. So that's the first thing. You have fever, you have vomiting, diarrhea, which are typical symptoms, right? And then now you have like this rash that breaks out. This rash is very common when you, someone has that kind of reaction, right? Like a systemic uh, kind of reaction, you find a rash. So if you find a rash in a kid with fever, uh, that has been exposed to someone, have been in contact with someone that has tested positive, I, I recommend you, you reach out to your doctor. So the rash is, the rash is kind of like the X factor here. Correct. All right, 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. We have Dr. Manny with us in the studio. We have Dr. Jeff coming up at 7.30. Uh, we'll take mental health calls and questions from you at 1-800-223-9797. Dr. Manny, in terms of the reopening, a lot of people were out yesterday. Like, the traffic was crazy. Every place was packed. What do you think is happening in terms of containing the virus now? Because the numbers are going down. The death rate is kind of flat, but still way, way down from where it was a couple of weeks ago. Thank God. The number of cases going down. They're doing all of this testing. Give us your big picture. Look at what, what you see happening here. Big picture is, I, I think, um, people have learned about how to cope with this. I mean, the people out yesterday, I went out to the park yesterday. And I saw some police officers driving around reminding people to put on your face mask. Um, I had my face mask on, but when I walk next to other people uh, with face masks, they'll put it on. People that do not have face masks will walk away from you if you're coming close to them. So so I, I think there's some kind of uh, 
uh, awareness among people, right? And people tend to respect in certain areas. I'm not saying this happens in every park. <laughs> right. Co- correct, right? And by the same time, I did see um, uh, other younger people still, uh, like around, uh, walk around without face mask, uh, still. And, but I, I think there's this movement now, people like, um, like shaming you a little bit, right? So if you, if you do that, then that means, uh, you should be ashamed of yourself if you're not following these rules that everyone else is following. Um, I have a friend actually that's driving, um, you know, from Washington DC up to Minnesota and saying like driving through the Midwest where they have fewer masks as opposed to what happens on the coast, right? Cause we are, we have been exposed to this and so we are more aware, but definitely everyone should put on a mask and try to maintain that uh, six feet uh, distance. And then in terms of things reopening, cause uh, you know, some of the beaches re- reopen in New York, New York state and New Jersey, they're talking about, you know, tr- trying to get things going again because the economy has been so hard hit. Is it really po- is do you think this is really going to work? I mean, we've heard this talk about a second wave that the summer it's not going to really slow down, but it seems like it's slowing down. Do you think people are going to get to a point where they're like going, hey, you know what? Uh, we're, we're here and let's just do what we do. I think it's kind of two things, right? Um, one of them is people have tired of being home <laughs> for sure <laughs> correct right and so and so people are like blasting music in your cars just driving around yesterday right and so people people are excited to get outside the weather is getting beautiful and right. nice which is the norm right and which is what people used to do when the summer comes around people get excited and go outside i know memorial day weekend for example the governor mentioned you know beaches in new york and new jersey might be opening up for memorial day weekend with uh, like enforcing this uh, social distancing rules that's the new normal. We will have to live life like that. Um, so I, I understand the frustration on people. And so the idea of people coming out, people were happier, people were smiling. So it is a great thing that people were out, but let's make sure we maintain uh, these distances and follow these rules. What do you think about the testing? Because they're, you know, they're doing, doing thousands and thousands of tests a day now in New York City. They're doing the contact, you know, they're starting to build this, well, they already have, but they're adding to it these, what they call the disease detectives, these contact tracers. They're going to be talking to people. So once somebody tests positive, then they trace, they go back, like, where were you yesterday? Who did you talk to? How do, what, what does the contact tracing really mean? Yes, yeah, so contact tracing, uh, so if you think about it this way, you have GPS on your phone, right? If you use any kind of map, a GPS map, or any apps that says, can you track your location, right? So basically, you have companies, I know Google and Apple uh, had a partnership here and partner with governments and, and city and state officials to create an, uh, an app that could actually track people, like track who you came in contact with. You, so it makes sense, right? So you know everywhere you go, they could track you. That's scary. It is scary, and, and that's and so that's the key element here. Where uh, there's there's been an argument now from some states, like, like uh, I think North Dakota be one of them. I'm having this argument because Apple and Google are saying, no, we cannot share every single information with you. We can only share certain amounts of information. Uh, for example, we can identify specifically every place you went, <laughs> right? We could determine what are the high risk areas that you went to and like immediate tracing, but states, some, some states want as much information as possible. So if you think about it, that is a scary piece. It is beneficial, but the privacy conversation is something that's very concerning to people. Well, absolutely, because then it's like you're—it's who you who you were talking to or who you were with, where you're going, right? And basically, everything that you did. Of course. So, so imagine now, um, you know, if you if you're a kid, you told your parents uh, you're out playing baseball, but you're somewhere else, <laughs> right? Exactly. So people need to get tracked. Uh, I'm not saying people should do that, but I'm saying, but there's a lot of privacy elements. Who your friends are, who you came in contact with. So, but this also tells you how much information these tech companies have on us. <laughs> right, which in is incredible. Which is incredible and scary, right?
because the other thing, one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. Um, all right, let's get let's get some phone calls here, Doctor Manny. I'm, I'm dominating the conversation here, and there's a lot of people that want to get in on this. Uh, let's go to Sheena right now. Sheena, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Uh, go right ahead. Hi. Hi. Yes, I was concerned about when you said the children look out for the outbreaks uh, for the rash. What does the rash look like, Doctor Manny? What does the rash look like, and what does it look like also on different skin tones too? Correct. So you you you. Thanks, Sheena. Correct. So, so you you will see a, like a patchy rash, um, like you know you, you see like a, like a like an area we have a bunch of rash, and it could be not only one location but throughout the body, right? So, so usually someone has like a diaper rash. You find like a diaper kind of area. Does it look like kind of like a diaper rash? Correct. It's like so little pimples, rash. like that. Correct. Kind of, correct. Okay. Like you see like a reddish rash, like a little bump, right? And you could present in different ways. But if you see a rash, because remember the rash is not it's not caused directly from a skin infection. This is from a systemic infection. So you see like this overall body rash. Uh, that would say that would not be typical of someone having like maybe I have an allergy to one particular thing. So think about like an allergic rash kind of, which is systemic, as opposed to I put on this lotion and my hands were inflamed. Oh, or, that's right, or like some little ca- some chemical or something like that. Correct. So it would, it would not be just in one location. It would be. Um, it, would, like the, it could be all over, like the like the pictures that they had, the pictures that I've seen. It was like it would be on the kid's back. It could be on their legs. Correct. Exactly. So you, that, correct. It'd be something that, that so it could that, be anywhere in the child. It could be anywhere in the child. Correct. But it would not be like just like like a little dot somewhere, right? So you're looking at like a covering a broad area in the body. Right. And and the and then talk to, talk with me about the age because you you said like this this Kawasaki, correct. So Kawasaki thing was like under five, but these kids they've had cases with this I think going into the teens, right? Co- correct. So what happens traditionally, uh, you know, if you talk about Kawasaki, the reason why it's called Kawasaki like is because. Um, like I said, for decades, uh, there are kids uh, younger than the age of five that were presented with these symptoms that will have, like, you know, inflammation in the heart. They have the skin rash, the fever, you know, uh, the GI problems, as I mentioned, the diarrhea, vomiting. And those patients had Kawasaki, right, which is what it's called. So this this looks exactly similar to that, but it's not Kawasaki, but it's Kawasaki-like kind of symptoms. But in this particular case, is is different, but the symptoms are similar. So in terms of the um okay so so that's that's in terms of the kids in terms of this testing a lot of people are concerned because there's discussions underway now that uh, public discussions or I should say a public debate in New York City that if somebody tests positive that if they don't want to isolate themselves that the city is going to force them to isolate, I don't know, stick them in a hotel room with a, I don't know what the, how that would work, but well, a great story of that happened this week, Lisa. We had uh, a, a gentleman out of the Bronx that took a trip to Hawaii, <laughs> right? And Hawaii has a rule of being of quarantining yourself for fourteen days. He didn't. He was taking pictures and posted them on Instagram, um, traveling around, and he got arrested, right? And in Hawaii, there's a fine of like five thousand dollars fine, plus he got arrested, and he has no support from his mother either, right? <laughs> so. That's what is happening in other states. If you leave New York and you go somewhere else, you get arrested, right? If you if you break the quarantine rules, and so this and this is something happening. Same thing with China. Someone left Boston and flew to China. Um, you know when when they knew they were positive and they get arrested. We know of cases of living people leaving New York and going to Florida on JetBlue Airlines, right? That also that's the positive and they knew they were positive. And, and so yes, I think uh, people should follow these quarantine rules and just stay if if you happen to uh, to be at risk. And don't if you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing, don't put it on social media because you are going to get busted. 
Hello. There, there's entire people don't understand that. <laughs> yeah, hello. There, you, there's so many. There's so many crimes that get that get solved now. Because Plus, when everyone else is stuck on, at home and you are right. Uh, in Plus, Hawaii. people are really on Instagram now. Like I know, I notice on my Instagram, people are at, people are actually reading the things right now. Like they didn't, never used to read. It was just a picture. Now everybody wants to read something because they have time. We're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. One eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. One eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. We'll be right back. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. And uh, we're talking about the coronavirus. This is part of our continuing coverage here at Hot 97. If you're supposed to be staying home and you're out, don't put your pictures on social media. Period. End of story. There's going to be repercussions, okay? Because everybody's watching everything. I'm not just talking about crime because you already know law enforcement is on that like crazy. But, uh, you know, do it just just it's even more simple. Just do what you're supposed to do. Take pictures in your living room. Take pictures in your kitchen. That's about as far as we want to go with that. 1-800-223-9797. That's 1-800-223-9797. And Dr. Manu, we've got a lot of calls for you right now. So let's go to Andre. Andre, hi, you're on Hot 97. Uh Thank you for taking my call, Lisa. Thank you. Um, I just have two questions. Uh, first, I have asthma, and I have a very hard time breathing with the mask. As a matter of fact, um, I had to stop wearing the mask. So, you know, I was just wondering if the doctor had some alternatives to the mask with regards to protecting myself. That's number one. Number two, um, if someone has had coronavirus and subsequently have uh, uh, gotten better, let's say, you know, they recovered. Is it possible that the virus is still floating around in their body? And can they infect others that are around them and that will be around them? Andre, these are excellent questions. Let me find out from, let's find out from Dr. Manny. What about what he's saying with the mask? Because I noticed too this weekend, you know, when it gets hot, those masks get kind of, it's kind of stuffy and it's kind of hot on your face. But in terms of him with asthma, where he's, he's really feeling it, that he can't wear it, what should he do? It is true. I mean, I, 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 I always make fun. I have chat with Lisa about the, this new thing I call the, the chin mask, right? Because you see a lot of people put on the mask. Including in Congress. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Everywhere. People put on the mask, myself included, right? We put on the mask and you pull it down right. you know, so you can breathe. Because that's the, the, the interesting part. The thicker the mask, especially the N95s, they have multiple filtration layers. The, diff, the more difficult it is for you to breathe. Like through them, right? So, what they have asthma, nice difficulty breathing. So, I could imagine what it feels like someone that has. It's got to feel like he's choking because he's not getting enough air. Correct. So, I, I would suggest you probably want to use like a thinner mask, um, right? So, like probably a one layer thing to help you protect yourself, um, at least, uh, so you could get some air going, at least. Oh, like the cotton ones where there's a little, there's a little bit of you still have some protection, you're still protecting other people, but there's a little cotton because these these paper ones that look like mini pampers on your face. Correct. They, they stop breathing. So you need something that. I need some kind of like two-way airflow, like a filtration kind of thing. Like right. so, so you see those N95 ones that have like a little filtration thing, so yes. probably let air come in. That probably make you breathe better. All right, Andre. So that's a, you got to look into one of those with it, because that little thing that looks like a bottle top that's on it. Correct. That filters air. Correct. So that will get you air. That brings the air in. In. Correct. All right, Andre. So there's your answer on that. What about Andre's second question about somebody uh, is over the coronavirus? Is the virus still in their system, and can they infect other people after they have, quote-unquote, recovered? 
Correct. So that is a fantastic question at, at the right time. Um, so just this morning, we found out that uh, some sailors that were sidelined on the USS uh, Theodore Roosevelt get virus for the second time. Um, right. So if you remember, um, um, in, you know, the, the Navy ship um, that was docked in Guam, remember, not long ago? Yes. Where, yeah. With the captain of that. Of, uh, the captain got into a lot of trouble because he... He's standing he, up for his sailors. Correct. His sailors. So, yes, yeah, so that, that particular one. So in that same group, they had five sailors, um, you know, on the USS aircraft Korea sideline in Guam due to COVID-19 outbreak have tested positive for the virus for the second time and have been taken off the ship again. Um, right. Wow. Correct. And so there's concerns around this. And so the question becomes, so, so they were positive before, got sick, recovered, got back on the ship. And then test the positive again after they had symptoms again. All right. So, and I'm going to get to the phone calls. 1-800-223-9797. We're, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about this, but I want to let people have a chance to talk right. with you because there's a lot of, a lot of questions here. Cause what's the point of the whole antibody testing if people, if you're going to get it, if you can get it again anyway? So the question here is the accuracy of the test. Lisa, we've had uh, multiple weeks. We've had this conversation about people getting sick and they, they quarantine for 14 days and then they get back to work, right? We've right. heard this, this, this thing. In this particular case, the, the sailors were actually out for 14 days. They got retested, but they, they did the uh, the nasal swab test. So it wasn't like the foolproof kind of test, like more accurate. So it's less accurate. So it's quite possible that they were not fully recovered and they were returned back to work. Um, and then now they're sick. So now you have to take them off again and then retest. Other so maybe people. they had it the whole time and it's just their symptoms minimized. Is that possible? Correct. Yeah. So, of course, you'd be recovering over a period of time. And right. then if, if you think you recovered and then you might get sick again, right? It comes back up. Um. So having accurate testing is very important to get uh, consumer confidence. All right, let's uh, let's take a couple calls on this real quick, and then we're going to get to Dr. Jeff because uh, a lot of mental health questions on this as well. Kim, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Hi, good morning. My name is Kim, and I wanted to let people know I have a 13-year-old son and with asthma also, and his symptoms were mild, and, you know, he was with his father, and people thought he was joking about his symptoms. You know, people do need to be aware of kids. I got tested, and I came ne- my test results came back um, negative, and his is positive. And how is he, how is he doing now, Kim? Um, his taste buds is not bad, but he just he had headaches. He lost um, his taste buds and the smell. You know, parents should be aware and monitor their kids. He had no coughing and no fever. Oh, so that's a great so that's he, that's a great point about the symptoms. Co- correct, yeah. and, and, and it is a great point too. So we remember we talked about the covers. It doesn't mean every kid that has COVID nineteen only presents with diarrhea and vomiting, right? So we so that's another possible um, way. This is just kind of like this whole range of symptoms that might might be some and might not. Correct, and in this case, you, you could also have the traditional symptoms that adults have, a like loss of, of smell, loss of taste. Loss of taste. Correct. Yes, yes. And but his chest is also tight because of the asthma. So he's been with the asthma meds more now. But, you know, people should be aware that taking temperatures doesn't mean anything. Correct. Okay, excellent point, Kim. Thank you so much. And I, I hope he makes a, a complete and full recovery. Let's go to uh, Leslie right now. Leslie, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning. Uh, I just wanted to ask because uh, I tested positive. I'm, I'm an essential worker, but I'm not a nurse or a cop. But I work in, a, in an environment where I have to go to work, and I have been. And I went to get tested for the antibodies because, you know, I have three children, and I was concerned about, you know, what 
overall has been going on. So last week, I tested positive for the antibodies. So with me testing positive for the antibodies, I'm still in the environment where I'm dealing with people, but should I be extra cautious? I mean, can I, can I become contagious at, an, at another point? I mean, my concern is, I'm, you know, I don't want to relax, but I also don't want to take, you know, the wrong uh, precautions. You know what I'm saying? No, no. And that that's an excellent question. Let's get an answer from Dr. Manny. Dr. Manny, he's, so basically he tests positive for the antibodies. So does that mean, does he still need, does he need to be, you know, keep himself relatively isolated except for when he's working? You know, what What do you say to that? Correct. Testing positive or negative for the antibody, you should still follow the same precautions, right? Because you can still be a carrier. Uh, for, for it. So, I mean, even at this point, uh, we know, we don't know if antibody protection means you can get it down the road. <laughs> so we don't know that yet, but that's the hope that we hope from a scientific point of view. And that's what a vaccine is going to address. But, uh, in this particular case where he's in the front lines and he's concerned about his family, I mean, coming back home, yes, you might have been exposed to this and maybe your immune system because, um, you know, which is glad. I'm glad you, you recovered from it and you have this positive antibody test, but you can still be a carrier. Because you could still be a carrier of the virus, and you might not show symptoms, but you could pass it on to someone else as an asymptomatic carrier. And then he he can he get sick again, or we don't know yet. We know that there are people that have uh, uh, been sick before, recovered, and still have been then got sick again. Um, but this is a small number of people. Um, so, but we are actually studying this. We need a much longer period to make that uh, to make come to arrive at that conclusion. But. Uh, at this point, anyone that has been infected and recovered, you're definitely in a in a better situation than people that have not been exposed. And they've never had it or anything correct, like that. Correct. All right, one more call on coronavirus, and then we're going to get to Dr. Jeff and your your mental health questions. So let me let everybody know we're going to have, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to have uh, America's top psychologist, Dr. Jeff Gardier, taking your telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. A lot of people are stressed out. A lot of people are uh, feeling relieved, like, okay, it's all over. Uh, we're going to talk with Dr. Jeff in, ju- in just a moment, but I'm going to take one more, more one more COVID call here. Mo, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, how are you? I just had a question uh, regarding the, the contagiousness of the virus. So my girlfriend tested positive about a month ago, and on April 20th, exactly a month ago, and she experienced symptoms. She got over it. And it's been like 25 days since her symptoms, or 20 around 20 days since her symptoms happened. Uh, my question is: Is she still contagious at this point? Can I see her, or, or just, because she tested positive again just like two days ago? So my question is: Is she contagious because she's positive? She tested or positive for what? Just, for the antibody she, test? She tested the, positive for no, the antibody for the COVID-19 test, not antibody for the actual COVID-19 uh, viral load test. Yes, that means that she's still contagious. If she's tested positive, she's, that's, that's the best indication you could have, right? So remember, if you tested positive, we'll just go over the test, uh, testing process please, again, right? Please. So, so you have an antigen test that looks for, 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 the, for the coronavirus specifically, which is what you normally take um, you know, as, a, as a general test to show that you are infectious. So if you take that test and it's positive, that means that you have an active virus that you could pass on to people and you could, you should be in, in isolation. If you, if, the same thing will happen with, let's say, she was positive for the antigen test two weeks ago, three weeks ago, a month ago, and she did an antibody test and was positive. It's completely different. An antibody test, of course, you can see her. If she has a negative antigen test and a positive antibody test. Antigen, remember, is virus. If you if you are testing for the virus and looking for the virus, right? So right. you see the virus, that means 
You got it's it. Like, you, you got it. But like, like, I think you understand the difference between the test and what you said. And she, if she tested positive for that test, yes, I, I think she uh, is contagious. She's then. contagious, correct? And you need to, you need to uh, keep your distance. All right, let's right now. Let's go to uh, Dr. Jeff Gardier. He's a clinical psychologist. He's also on the faculty at Toro College of Osteopathic Medicine, and uh, you've seen him on a lot of different television shows. He was hosting Chasing Nine News on Friday night, right after Street Soldiers. And uh, he's here to answer your questions. Dr. Jeff, great to have you with us. Oh, great to be back with you. Dr. Manny, how are you, my brother? I'm doing great. Uh, I, I was hoping to ask you um, whenever you're done wearing those fancy clothes to share with me. You're, you're a fashionista yeah. as well. <laughs> exactly. That, that was from that was uh, my hosting a, 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 an event in Atlanta from a couple of years ago, and my social media director pulled that one up. I, I'll never hear the end of that one, Dr. Manny. <laughs> Lisa, it's so great to speak with you, as always. Great to speak with you, Dr. Jeff. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people are kind of going through, it just seems to me like everything is turned up, like everybody's extra emotional. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we can tell uh, from all the calls you're getting this morning that people are absolutely confused. And thank God you have a great physician there who can uh, give them accurate information. They're just not getting that information. Exactly. So add that in to the fact that they're still, still in the air psychologically because many of us, most of us, 99.999% of us, uh, still are in shock over the fact that we went from one world in one day to now a brand new world. And this is what I call a culture shock. Uh, we are just trying to feel our way through this thing and trying to figure out who we are and what our place is in the world and how our culture has changed, our society has changed forever. And people are just feeling, you know, people are reeling. There's a lot of changes and there's this, you know, I felt this weekend like there was a rush because the weather was nice and, you know, pe people wanted people wanted to get out. But in a way, it's kind of more stressful because you want to go out. But then you're like, do I really? And then once you're out and you see all the people, it gets I don't know, just like a whole lot of mixed feelings. Yes, exactly. And, 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 and you put it very succinctly and, and very intelligently, as always, when you are in a situation like this that you're experiencing anxiety, some depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, disorientation. Most people don't even know what day of the week it is uh, at this point. Uh, that's how, you know, how off they are uh, with this thing, that their feet are not yet on the ground. Uh, so you see the good weather, you see the sun, you feel that vitamin D, which I think Dr. Manny will tell you that we really need, by the way. Um, and it's just so easy to use that in our own minds to say, well, it's not that bad. Ah, life is going back to normal. Ah, you know, maybe this was all a dream. What it, it tells me is, is that emotionally we're still traumatized and we need to be careful. Yes, we need to reopen society, but we have to follow scientific guidelines and we must be smart. Slow and steady wins the race. Moderation is the key. All right. But 
the information, you know, following scientific, what is really scientific, no disrespect to the medical profession, but what really is scientific information these days? First, we're told not to wear masks. Then we wear masks. Then we're told that only certain populations were vulnerable. Now we find out that kids, you know, now that we find out uh, kids are, are vulnerable in ways that nobody even imagined. We we're told it wasn't airborne. It was airborne. All of these things. So I think there's also a tremendous sense of distrust, Dr. Manny. Like I said, no disrespect to your profession, but a lot of confusion here. Correct. I mean, there's, there's one thing about science and the second piece about policy, right? Um, okay. <laughs> right. So the, the argument of don't wear mask. I don't know how much of that was a scientific, um, necessarily scientific uh, point of view. Uh, right. if, you, if you read some of the, the scientific journals uh, coming out of China in, from that period of time, there was, there was awareness around this, right? To say, hey, let's put a mask, uh, frontline workers. We didn't have enough face masks. Right? Period. <laughs> Correct. And we, don't, and we didn't have enough testing and see how long we lived with this, right? So, yes, I think that creates confusion and anxiety within people when the information keeps changing. Uh, but in the scientific world, that's kind of what you learn over a period of time. That's the way it goes. Correct, so you make a, you know, a claim and then you test it to make sure it works. But in this particular case, people were rushing and trying to, you know, to make things happen real quick. But at the same time, this same thing, that's why we have to be very careful with the testing, right? Um, as Dr. Jeff just said, I think we should be careful how we reopen society, um, especially when we have tests being rushed into the market that are not accurate. So imagine someone tested negative or false positive, false negative, is it real, is it not real? That's a big problem. So we need to make sure that everything's accurate before we get um, to the market. And Dr. Jeff, I think this has been one of the biggest things is people just don't know what they should be believing. Yeah, I, I would like to see more of an alignment between the White House, uh, the CDC, and the World uh, Health Organization. I would like to see them all on the same page, um, um, putting their information together and giving us a unified message. And until we get that, I think people really don't know what to trust as far as the information that they're getting. And then, Dr. Jeff, in terms of relationships, we've seen the, you know, the rise in domestic, rise in domestic violence. This week, shootings were up. People were out. You know, that, that period where the crime really took a, you know, took a nosedive is, is now seeming to go back in the opposite direction. Tensions around social distancing, people hearing about the racial disparities and who's getting coronavirus and who's getting the proper treatment for it. All of these types of things are new stress factors, aren't they? Absolutely. I, I think we're seeing two things here. One is that as we are experiencing the shock, the psychological shock from the virus, uh, now we're starting to see a little bit of daylight, and then it allows us to go back to all the ills of, uh, of society, the psychological and the political ills that we've been uh, experiencing for quite some time. So those are coming back to the surface. That's part of it. But the second part of it is... What are the ripples? What are the repercussions from COVID-19 as our society changes uh, in a way that uh, it's been accelerated? Uh, talk about a vaccine at warp speed. What about society changing at warp speed? And so it's leaving people disoriented. And we're seeing things now that we didn't quite expect that we would see. And we will see there will be so many more um, very different things about society, about dating, about families, about the way we do business, the way that we work. 
Um, if we could take the emotion out of it, which I I, I can't, but if we could take if if Mr. <laughs> well, listen, Scott if you can't do it, from, then we can't. We definitely if right, you can't right, do it, exactly. we definitely well, can't. Well, but, but that's because we're all human, and we have to give ourselves a break in that way. If we were to bring back Mr. Spock from Star Trek, who only dealt with logic, uh, to look at what is going on, you know what he would say? Fascinating. Fascinating. Correct. Dr. Just Dr. Jeff, uh, something else. I, like, I mean, since we have you, I mean, uh, we're lucky to have you. There's something that, that uh, there's an elephant in the room, and that elephant is the conspiracy theories that are associated with this, right? Uh, you can't go on any social media platform where you don't see everyone is an expert now on COVID-19 or psychology. Right. Everyone is offering mental health, and you have all these people giving advice to people and believing in other things that creates more anxiety. Is, is this like some kind of defense mechanism where you find, uh, you know, what brings about these conspiracy, conspiracy theories? Why do people believe in them so easily? Because I could tell you there's a vaccine and, that works, and I'll show you papers. People don't care about that, right? I could tell you <laughs> so, some plant from somewhere does, and people believe in that. Or it's 5G. People believe in that. Right. So, so tell us about that. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, and I think here's what's interesting. It, it was people who were on the fringes, uh, the political fringes, um, who all the way to the right or all the way to the left, uh, who are very much into conspiracy theories before COVID-19. Now we see that many people across the spectrum are really wondering what this is all about. Was it man-made? Was it a situation of where, you know, a particular country didn't report what was supposed to be reported? Um, you know, what is the real role of Dr. Fauci? We've seen those uh, sorts of conspiracy theories and on and on and on. And that is exactly what it is, Dr. Manny, what you're saying. It's a defense mechanism uh, in order for us to try to take control over a narrative that has no control, that changes by the day where we see totally. no beginning and where we don't see an end. So that's our way uh, psychologically to try to deal with what's going on. And that's why I don't slam the conspiracy theor theorists. I don't believe uh, 99% of that stuff, but it is the human factor in trying to understand what's going on. All right, uh, Dr. Jeff, we have to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to take some telephone calls at 1-800-223-9797. And we want to also get your take about this whole human separation, what that's doing to us in terms of personal relations, how we relate to people, our own humanity, our own emotional state. That's coming up on Hot 97 Street Soldiers when we come back. Keep connected with everything we got going on. On your radio, online, on our app, and on all smart speakers. Keep connected with us. This is Hot 97, number one for hip-hop. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Dr. Manny is with us here in the studio. He's a medical doctor with an MD and an MBA, best-selling author of the book, The Future of Healthcare, and he's also a policy advisor on the coronavirus pandemic. On the phone with us, Dr. Jeff Gardier, America's top psychologist. He's also on the faculty and one of the guiding lights at the Toro College of Osteopathic Medicine. You've seen him on a number of reality TV shows trying to help people get their lives straightened out, and he's with us right now. Now, taking your telephone calls about mental health issues, stresses you're going through, as well as uh, any problems you might have. He's got Dr. Jeff here, and uh, we're talking about that right now. Dr. Jeff, one of the things about this that, that I just feel walking down the street is this, this human separation. And it's people have masks, people are hunched over, 
You can't tell whether somebody's smiling when they're coming at you. You can't tell if somebody's, you know, frowning or hostile. Or It, it just seems like everybody's in this kind of like turtle-like mode. Yeah, and it is uh, certainly interfering uh, with uh, the uh, parietal lobe, Dr. Manny will tell you, uh, this is how we bring in information, how we guide ourselves uh, through the world. Uh, and so now that we're not able to see someone's um, uh, a smile or their frown, if we're not uh, able to really uh, truly look at their body language because we're so busy rushing past them uh, or only connecting with them on social media and not seeing all of the body language, it really does um, uh, in some ways compromise uh, the way that we are interpreting what it is that we are hearing, seeing, feeling uh, with regard to a person um, with uh, emotion and affect. And so this is yet another one of those things that is changing the human condition, and now we are going to have to use our senses in a different way. It's almost like a blind person uh, not being able to see, but having to rely on their hearing, on their sense of smell, and other sorts of senses, and that's what we're going to have to do, picking up different cues. But I think it also is a separation for us psychologically from others, and we see that it is affecting our mood, that we no longer uh, have that human touch with most people, can't shake their hands, can't be close to them. So again, yet another adjustment we'll have to learn until we can have um, less of that social distancing as part of our protocol but that's the other but that's the piece too it's like you you can't hug people you can't you know you can't shake their hands you you know people just like pat you on the shoulder say hey take care i'll see you next time or whatever it's it's just it's so so different does that what does that do to us i think that adds uh to our disorientation it adds to the culture shock uh, that we are experiencing. And so this is why I think people really need to understand that the psychological aspect of this uh, now added on to the medical aspect uh, where we're not getting uh, really the, the clearest information or the precise information that we need is really stressing out our society. Uh, we can't say enough about why we need uh, psychological attention and psychological adjustment. So everyone, every single person that I've talked to, and, I, and I'm feeling it myself as a, as a psychologist, I feel disoriented at times, and I share that with my patients. I have that kind of uh, empathy to help them clinically and say, I understand, and that we all need to talk about what is going on in ourselves and our society right now. And this came at, a, at, a, at a, ex, the wrong time, right? So, so right before this happened, we were at a point in society where people were not actually talking to each other anymore, right? If you went out to a right. bar or a restaurant, people were on your phones and they don't talk to people they're with. Right, <laughs> that's, exactly. That's where we were, right? And you had kids uh, hooked on your phones or hooked on, on computers. And then there was a whole movement of let's get people out to go outside and play and talk to, socialize and talk to people. Uh, now with this, now, the only pe- now we are actually enforcing the negative side of society <laughs> that was happening, right? So, if, so we basically exponentially went to this, to, to this point where society was already going and so the impact of that to a mental state just today for example coming into the studio 
I noticed on the elevators, for example, right? All the, the signs. All the signs that says, um, you know, fall person limit on the elevators um, to help stop the spread of infection. And those foot stickers, the stickers for where you're supposed to stand. Correct. There is a psychological mm -hmm. barrier here, right? And so, Dr. Jeff, how do you go about, you know, living in this society today and where we could practice social distancing but not physical distancing or physical distance or social? I mean, what is the right way here to describe this and how can we survive? Uh, it, one word. Adaptation. Uh, it is adaptation that has helped us uh, be the preeminent uh, species on this uh, on the planet that has helped us to survive. I guess the, the, the only thing that's going to survive longer than us, as they say, uh, as the scientists say, will be the roaches. Right. <laughs> but, you know, other than that. Uh, it is our ad and their and their adaptation too, right? But it's our ad uh, adaptation of being able to now fit into what the new normal will be, and to find compensation in other words, uh, in other ways, which is for the ones that we are able to reach out to, family partners. Uh, people that we know that may be part of the uh, herd immunity uh, to be able to um, be more open to those particular individuals. Uh, when the vaccine does come at some point um, in our lives, and I doubt it's going to be within a year, but I'm not a physical scientist. Dr. Manny can speak better to that. I doubt um, too. I think, yeah, I think it, I think there will be a rush to uh, embracing our humanity. And, and now we may see the explosion of uh, pregnancies and babies and, and so on. But right now, it is not just only uh, a, a, a physical um, a separation, but a psychological separation and, and the effects that we're feeling with that. Dr. Jeff, the, the, the word you used that really resonated with me, one of them, it was the, the disorientation. Because it's like everything that you, like, we're, we're routine creatures. As much as we like things that are new, it's like we also have certain routines that kind of allow us to do more, to get more done, to get through the day. And it, it, there are a lot of people feeling disoriented right now. Absolutely, because the majority of people I know uh, are not waking up the usual time they used to if they're working from home. Now they feel that because they don't have to uh, commute to work, they can get up later. Well, here's the, the what's going on. Now it begins to affect the sleep-wake cycle and the circadian uh, rhythm of our sleep. Right. And then it's just a ripple effect in that it throws off the rest of the day. And now people now are starting to get up at what used to be their regular hour and going to bed at what used to be their regular hour. But it took several weeks for us to begin to catch up with what our old routine is. And there are many people who still haven't caught up and may not do so until we're actually back in the world. How important do you think a routine is? Especially when you got the kids and everything. Yeah, it, it's it's absolutely everything. So again, uh, we have to find a way to um, be able to um, um, find compromises uh, and uh, find compensation uh, in the way that we do the things that we do. So if we have the children in in the home, if we're if we're blessed to do that, even though some people have complained, and I completely understand with that, especially <laughs> with the, with the disruption of the uh, education right, cycle. Exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. We've all but seen those commercials to... where the, the Google uh, Google commercial where they 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 have the parents going. 
teachers should be paid 10 times what they get. <laughs> now, now we know, don't we? Now yes. we know who some of the true heroes are. Um, but, you know, we have to find ways uh, to compensate, if not even overcompensate, uh, in order to try to find the old routine, but establish a new routine. And I think that's what some of us have done. I- I'll say this very quickly, and then I'll, I'll uh, 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 shut up. Uh, it's, uh, no, we don't want to. Me a Go ahead. Again, of course. Uh, but um, uh, I know, I know for you, I know for Dr. Manny, and I know for many of us, but especially those who are staying at home, they are working harder than they've ever worked before. Because you get up at a certain time, shower, exercise, I hope, have your breakfast, you sit at a computer. You're not getting up from that computer from 8 o'clock in the morning till 8 o'clock at night. Because not only are you doing your work, but you're doing all the frontline work, you're doing all of the secretarial work, which is uh, which is uh, you know a bad thing, not just for us, but for a lot of our folks who are out there working every single day. Their jobs are drying up because many of those jobs now are happening from home. So if they're not administrative, if they're not professional, we're seeing that a lot of folks are losing their jobs. They're so-called furloughed, but we know that many people who are furloughed may not come back to those jobs. Oh, wow. Well, Dr. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us uh, on Street Soldiers once again and helping us just understand it. And I know you made a lot of people, including myself, feel like we're not alone with what we're going through right now. Absolutely. We're all a society in this. And this is, I guess, the bottom line, right? We were a divided society before this started. If we're still a divided society, then it's only going to make this situation absolutely worse. We must come together. We must stop the partisan politics. We've got to support one another. And people of color uh, have to really look at the fact that they are more at risk than anyone else. And they are going to have to completely change their lives. And society is going to have to address the fact that inadequate medical care, psychological care, uh, financial uh, opportunities, all of those things are going to need to change for us to now finally move together uh, in, in an equal way, in a respectful way, in a healthy way to get through this pandemic and come out of this thing stronger. Dr. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Dr. Manny, you be well. Audience, we love you. God bless. God bless you. And God bless America. All right. Thank you. All right. Dr. Thank Jeff you. Jeff for president. Dr. Jeff for president. Absolutely. 1-800-223-9797. Street Soldiers. Lisa Evers here. Dr. Manny with us. Taking your calls about the coronavirus. You have questions about testing, questions about protecting yourself, questions about safety, questions about anything related to the coronavirus. Dr. Manny's here. We're going to blow through some calls and then we're going to hear from Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President. 1-800-223-9797. We'll be right back. WQHD HD1 New York. This is a special coronavirus edition of Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Dr. Manny is with us. Dr. Emmanuel, uh, we call him Dr. Manny, Fambu, medical doctor with an MD and MBA. He's a best-selling author of the book, The Future of Healthcare. He's also a policy advisor on the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And Dr. Manny, let's get to the phone lines here. Let's go to William right now. William, hi, you're on Hot 97. Hey, William, you're on Hot 97. Um, How are you? 
Hey, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and uh, thank you for what you're doing for the for the community and the public. It uh, means a lot to us. If no one says it, no from the people. We really care about what you guys are doing on the air right now. Wow, thank, so, thank you. Dr. May. Yeah, no problem. Um, Dr. May, my question is directly to you. So, um, as a doctor, um, it, well, so I work in the healthcare environment, but I'm a parent of seven, so that removed me out the scene. I'm on the support service side of it, so I kind of have some understanding around healthcare. So, uh, under your understanding, do you feel history tends to repeat itself? Because this, from what I'm reading from the Spanish flu, this looks just like it with the exception of us having so much technology and so much information to, to know that we're going through that. And why are we not doing anything to be proactive to, to prevent something like this from reoccurring? And why is it that we, as United, you know, United States, we, you know, United States of America, we have all these, all this technology, all this doubt of, uh, I guess, um, uh, we we brag about we're the greatest and we're all this and and we suffering the most. We we weren't prepared. We were screaming in every news media. Oh, we we need more ventilators. We need more ventilators. But only fifteen percent of the patients actually that went on ventilators made it. So why are we not being transparent to the public, particularly the most vulnerable people in the community, like myself and everybody else that's around me? I'm not getting tested. I know I've been sick. I know everybody in my whole house has been sick in my whole neighborhood. They're, they're, you know what's really going on i think i think that's a that's a lot of questions uh william but let me get a get get some answers from dr manny what about what he's saying because he's expressing what william is expressing is what a lot of people are feeling do we even have any idea what's going on and is this anything like the spanish flu which i don't think a lot of people know about correct so so uh you you made a statement that i agree with uh, strongly about does history repeat itself Yes, it does, right? If you look at even videos online in general, you've, you've seen um, epidemiologists talking about this for a long period of time about let's get ready, right? When Obama was in power, for example, there was a whole team in place that was supposed to help, you know, for, in, for the next pandemic. Bill Gates has been talking about this, about the next pandemic, right? Everyone's writing about this. What, and if you look at it from a set of COVID-19, should we put things in place to prevent this from happening? Of Absolutely, yes. But let's also look at the other side of it of people that actually die from this. We've talked about uh, the comorbid conditions, right? We talk about asthma, we talk, we talk about uh, diabetes, we talk about heart failure, uh, which are the, most of these patients are very vulnerable. What are we doing to prevent those same kind of illnesses? Those are things that I've been arguing for and talking about for a long period of time. Yes, the same mindset we put in place to prevent the next pandemic, we should put the same kind of things in place to prevent um, you know, patients today that are sick from this condition so they're not at risk when this happens down the road. To improve their health overall. Correct, because you see, if we are healthy today and someone says it's COVID-19, well, we could try to avoid and wash your hands, but there's someone at home that's terrified, that has diabetes right now, that's terrified to go outside. <laughs> someone that has cancer, someone has heart failure, that, that are kidney failure, kidney failure, that are high risk people, right? And they're stuck at home and more terrified than we are and, and more anxious and dying from this. Even uh, last week, uh, Lisa, we were down in, uh, in a different boroughs, right? right. And we had conversations talking to people where they said people were dying at home just because they were anxious, Right, and this is not directly from COVID nineteen. So we should be in a society where we should be more preventive, right? Take care of of ourselves and put the resources in place to make sure we all live better quality lives. And also have that information as as well. Correct. Let's go to uh, Annika right now. Annika, hi, you're on Hot ninety seven. Annika. Okay. Do I object? Okay. Annika, do you hear us? 
Okay, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have I can to... hear you. I muted myself because I didn't want to talk. Okay, what's your question or comment? Well, you were about to get axed right there. Sorry, you, just in time, girl. <laughs> that been, just in time. That would have been horrible. That would have been horrible. <laughs> You're um, hanging on. What's your question or comment? Okay, so I'm concerned about I'm concerned about elderly people um, because they need affection and they actually do need like, for example, people who are like who are in nursing homes and stuff like that. Yeah. They need people to come visit them and stuff like that. And I'm really concerned about them. Um, that population. Um, and then my other question, my real question is for Dr. Jeff, because I'm an essential worker and there is, I'm exhausted all of the time. I'm exhausted. And I'm wondering like, what can be, well, what if you suggest, um, for me to like de-stress, I guess, because there's no vacation in sight. All right. Uh, we don't have Dr. Jeff with us on the line. Maybe we can get him. We can get him back on the line and, and get an answer for you about that. But the uh, in, ter- in terms of the in terms of the de-stressing, I think that's one of the biggest things. Dr. Manning, stress is is a huge thing is like when you can't you can't. The other thing about this is that you can't totally detach. Like even if you want to forget about what's going on, there's always something there that's going to remind you. So you can never kind of detach from it. Correct. And the stress is real, especially, I mean, if, if you're working at home and, you know, like yesterday, I, re- I literally had to go outside because I feel like I haven't like stuck just doing stuff, right? You're getting emails, you keep responding and you keep doing a lot, right. a lot of work. And so you, you get stressed in general. So I think it's very important to pick up some kind of activity, right? Whether it's meditation or you want, you want to jog or, you know, just getting some air stretching. It, it is very important. Uh, listening to common music or whatever makes you calm, right? I think that's very important to, to take that into account. Or put the go on YouTube. There's like nature sounds. There's like the ocean, like a really great beach that you want to go visit, and you have the ocean sound. I did that. Correct. <laughs> a no, vacation I'm at home. You can. You can pardon me. I said a vacation at home. That sounds good. No, when you let me tell you something. If you put the YouTube, if you put the YouTube, if you have a smart staycation. TV, the staycation. <laughs> I just I had to I had to do this one day because it was just it was the same thing. It was like too many phone calls, too many emails, nonstop. This zooms, recording this, all all these types of things, and then I discovered these. Uh, these beaches. I'm like, I always wanted to go to the Maldives. I'm gonna look if they if they have a YouTube video. They have the Maldives live, you, you, supposedly live. You, you turn on the, I put it on the big screen, and it just it, it just calm. I'm serious. I kept working, but it really calmed me down. Wow, that's relaxing. Just to think about. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And then when I have to get it up, I put pop smoke on full blast in the car. Yes, but you know, the or the or. Anyway, rest Bye. in peace, Pops. Bye, thank you. All right, Anika, hang in there. But try the ocean music. I'm telling you, it's like it does something. I'm definitely going to give it a try. Thank you. All right, sweetie, take care. All right, thank you so much. Let's go to Brandon right now, giving all my little tips. Listen, you got you guys. I'm doing the soldiers. same thing with food. I just uh, put it on uh, YouTube and I just watch it. The food? Yeah, it's a good diet. <laughs> the seafood diet. The seafood <laughs> Let's go to Brandon right now. Brandon, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hello, how you doing? Yeah, I'm Prophet from Queens, right? Um, I want to know, is it better to use gloves when you're outside or is it better to just hand sanitize after you come in contact with, like, let's say you're walking out of your your building? Is it, should you use gloves when you touch the handle or the doorknob or should you just hand sanitize after you do everything? Okay, I'm going to ask Dr. Manny because this is, this is the great glove debate that we've been having since day one. I'm going to tell you what I do. Which is, which is the glo- the gloves to me are very problematic because you have to keep taking them on, taking them off. You have to have extra pairs. A lot of the ones they sell 
are not the size that they say they are. They're either too big or they're too small. And the other thing, when you go out of the building or when I go somewhere or am I, I'm going from room to room, I take a paper towel and use the paper towel to hold the handle, the door handle or the doorknob, and then just throw the paper towel away and then sanitize. Dr. Manny, what about his glove question? Correct. So I, I will... Um Answer that from an interesting perspective. If you look at gloves, right, a glove is like any other surface, just like your hands are, right? And so being in medicine, uh, if I, for example, touch the patient or I drew blood from a patient, after every patient, I get rid of a glove. So a glove is not something that doctors wear or nurses wear and walk around all day, right? So imagine if you had a glove and you work at a restaurant, let's say a fast food restaurant, and you were uh, receiving cash, making food, and you went to the bathroom, what would you do? Would you have the same glove on <laughs> in every single place you go? No. Absolutely not. It's the same kind of mindset, right? So so what happens is that when someone has gloves at home, you don't have like a whole box in your pocket walking around and everything you touch, you take off your glove. In the ideal situation, put on the gloves when you touch your door, you open the door, you take the gloves off, throw it away, right? You press the elevator button, <laughs> take off the gloves and throw it away. That is not something that we think uh, everyone could just possibly do, right? The amount of of, of gloves, oh, gloves is crazy. It would be crazy, correct? And, and so the idea here would be if you are doing like a like a probably stretched out activity, you put on gloves. That makes sense, right? Otherwise, the key goal is to keep your hands clean. That's what the overall is. Whatever you do, gloves. Whether hands. sanitizer and the sanitizer can't just be like one or two drops in the palm of your hand. Correct. Just put that. It's got to be like it. like like rubbing all over the place. I find that easier when when we started doing the I show. Do I used to come in with gloves all the time, right? I, yeah. I, mean, I used to wear my gloves, and then realized that I was wearing the same glove all day and it's all ruptured and like so am i actually safe or not <laughs> wearing that so it's probably better i can understand i can understand the gloves like like people, the right. essential workers that are they're taking money from the public because right. they're at that one post for for hours and they're doing and then they can take the gloves off and do a good hand wash and they're done. I think Correct. that's a different thing. I think like if you're in constant contact with the public and you're you're serving food or you're you know you're delivering stuff or whatever, I think that's a different thing. Then I, th I think gloves you would want Correct. to have. If you're moving around, you, you probably right. need different gloves. You can't have the same glove all right. day opening different doors because you might actually be getting spreading the infection, right? If you touch one door and it's infected and you don't wash your hands, I like my paper glove. towel method. Correct. Yes, I like that too, and that's fantastic because you could dispose of it. That's the whole idea. You dispose just take the paper towel right there and. Disposal, not on the floor. Yesterday at the park, I saw people disposing of gloves on on the grass. And, Are and you I saw, yes, I, I did. That is uh, disgusting. Disgusting. Correct. We've been talking about that. All right, one eight hundred two two three ninety seven ninety seven. Let's go to Rose right now. Rose, hi. You're on Hot ninety seven. Go right ahead. Yes. Hello. My name is Rose. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I am an essential worker. I'm an RN, and I have a question for Dr. Manning about our kidneys because I'm a pediatric nurse. So I heard oh wow! That, thank you, Rose. You know, first of all, thank you for what thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. You're welcome, and I'm really you know I'm happy that you know we're trying to do the best that we can and help how we can. Okay, yes, so hello? what's your question? What's your question for Dr. Manny? So my question is: I know that um, there's a couple of articles that's been forming on about our our kids that are now there's like Kawasaki disease, there's inflammatory diseases that are coming up that they're getting it from COVID-19. And now that has a lot of parents, you know, wondering like, well, how can, how do we know our kid has it? We're scared. And I have my friend as well who has a son. She's really worried now that these new symptoms are coming. So what, what can Dr. Manning advise parents now that now that kids are now more affected now because of these new symptoms and new diseases that are coming out with the COVID-19? All right. Excellent question. Dr. Manning, what about that? 
and, and thanks for calling and uh, and keep up the great work. Uh, like you know, I love my nurses. <laughs> in general. And you're the son of a nurse, and Co- I'm the correct. daughter of a nurse. Okay. Correct. So so um, we love nurses. Shout out to all the nurses and thank you and the right. doctors too. But shout out to the nurses. Nurses, nurses train the doctors, so you could get a shout out, <laughs> right? So this phrase. So this is what happens. So if you're in the healthcare profession right now, like, you know, if you're a nurse or you're a doctor, you get everyone reaching out to you and asking you this particular question, right? Um, uh, and one of the key things, um, you, you know, from the question she asked about this new symptom is coming. It's not a new symptom coming. It's something that we just observed, right? So if you, if you happen to one child, for example, just, just like when, uh, we had this whole COVID-19 thing and, you know, if it happened in December or January, there are people that probably died from this and we never call them COVID-19 patients, right? Exactly. So it's possible also the people that had kids that had the symptoms that would say, oh, you're probably Kawasaki or something else that recovered or died or whatever happened, but they were not counted in this particular case. So it's not a new thing, like a new, it's not like this new virus became more mutant and now is causing a new kind of virus. It's that we are seeing these new symptoms, we're identifying that patients that have these conditions also have testing positive for COVID-19, right? And, and so, so that's, that's the key piece of it. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, like, absolutely. Like, like, correct. So, so it's not, so I don't want people to f- be at home and freaking out like, oh, there's this new virus that is attacking kids. No, it's the same one. <laughs> we just realized that, hey, there's some symptoms that are taking, uh, that are very common in kids now that were not there before that be, that is being triggered. And it's still COVID-19. a very small percentage of all of the children. When you talk about like New York State, more than 20,000 deaths, we're talking about every life is, of course, valuable and important, but we're talking about a very small percentage very small, of children. Very small percentage of children, right? Even Kawasaki has been around for decades, right? So it's not something like the symptoms are the same. So it's not something like, I mean, if you, if you show up with, with, with the symptoms, it's not something that doctors don't know how to take care of, right? It's your heart rate is high, low blood pressure, and then they give you fluids um, and steroids. You try to boost your back up, right? So doctors know how to manage this. So if you, so don't freak out um, in this particular case, but now it's good that we know. Instead, we should be more comfortable than now we know. Because before this, if someone showed up at a hospital, a kid showed up, you know, with increased heart they rate. They wouldn't know. Correct. They wouldn't know because they're looking for respiratory things. So the more we learn, actually, the better off we are than if we don't. And then the thing, too, with some of these cases with the children, it's been it's been like they've had, like, heart attacks or, like, it, they, they get very sick very fast. Correct. So even in adults, we talked about this before where we're looking at respiratory uh, problems and then we found out that this virus um, had... Um, yeah, it has something called vasculitis, which is infect, inflammation of the blood vessels, right? Even in adults, where adults are presenting with heart attack-like symptoms uh, in this particular case. So when you have this infection in kids, we know that you have inflammation of the heart itself, right? That could actually you know, lead to cardiovascular problems. That's why in every hospital you have uh, these care teams that involve cardiologists that are keeping an eye out for this. All right, that's a good thing. A lot of phone calls. Uh, let's go right now to Danny. Danny, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hey, Danny. Hey, hey, how's it going? All right, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm sorry, I'm listening. I, I, I thought she, she got my name incorrect. It was Johnny, but I'm doing great, Lisa. How are you? Good okay, morning. we're doing great, Johnny. What's your question or, or comment? Uh, uh, good morning, Doc. My question was, um, uh, I, I was just, you know, I'm an EMT, and uh, we see now that we're, uh, I'm actually going into work in, in about 45 minutes. But we see um, over this weekend we have beautiful weather, and you know plenty of people are out. Um, everyone seems to want to be outside or, or you know, get some sunlight and enjoy, and enjoy their time. I, I want to know what uh, what does the doctor think um, 
uh, this would lead to. Um, you know, especially Memorial Weekend coming up next week. I don't think people will be uh, willing to stay inside. So we probably, you know, uh, we might have to, you know, I don't know, um, public service announcement from the city is something to keep people in. Um, I think the public spaces will also get packed um, if everyone does manage to go out. Uh, there would be, it would be nearly impossible to social distance. Um, so I just wanted to know what he thinks and uh, what he thinks families should do at least um, for the weekends coming uh, ahead. All right, Johnny, first of all, thank you for your work as a, as the EMT. Mm-hmm. We really appreciate it. Uh, being out there on the front lines. I know it's been a very, very stressful couple of months for you guys, but we appreciate everything that you've been doing. And let's see what Dr. Manny has to say about that. All right, this weekend was one thing. Next weekend's Memorial Day weekend, and people are really not going to want to just stay home. Correct. And um, we should not expect people to want to stay home, right? I mean, it's nice weather outside. People have been stuck at home for a long period of time. So right. it's just the reality <laughs> of, of what's going to happen. And so if you look at a place like Texas as a, as a good background example, where people opened up, right? Because, I mean, the weather is warm in Texas uh, in general. And so people, so the, the infection rates have, I mean, once it reopened, actually went up, significantly went up um, still, right? Uh, in those areas. So we do know that, uh, and that's why we don't want to reopen now. And so if you have something like Memorial Day weekend and people are going to the beach, it's very important for people to, to you know, to do the six feet, the social distancing, making sure, um, you know, you avoid contact as much as possible, have your gloves on, um, put on your gloves, um, put on your face mask. I'm saying face mask and I'm saying gloves, right? So put on your face mask, which is kind of different, difficult. Imagine hanging on a beach, people are walking around with shorts and then you have a face mask and people are going in the water, <laughs> right? And I've, and I've heard situations where, about the pool, for example, I had a conversation about uh, pools will be open and people can go in the pool, but then they'll limit the number of people in the pool. But if you've been in a pool before, I'm sure you know that people do spread fluids in the pool, right? And so if you're swimming, I mean, people do take in water in your mouth and put it out and it's body fluids, <laughs> right? So so I, if I was in there, I would stay out of a pool, for example, until things are fully recovered here. I would not, because we know this, the, the virus spreads through droplets, right? And so if, if you're in the pool and... With people you don't know, um, I think you should be cautious about that. We don't want this to spike. All right, 1-800-223-9797. This is Street Soldiers. Dr. Manny's with us. When we come back, we're going to hear from Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams about what's going on in Brooklyn and what he says needs to be done in the city immediately. We'll be right back. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. And with us in studio is, is Dr. Manny, Dr. Emmanuel Fambu. He's a medical doctor with an MD and MBA, best-selling author of the book, The Future of Healthcare, a medical futurist and also a key policy advisor um, in the pandemic, the coronavirus pandemic crisis. And uh, Dr. Manny, joining us on the phone right now is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. And uh, he's been working around the clock to help the people of Brooklyn as they cope with this coronavirus pandemic. He's also been a longtime supporter of street soldiers with our push for peace and also uh, just coming on the show from really pretty much day one to talk about what's really going on in the streets and to give people the, the accurate information about what's happening. So, Eric, great to have you back on the show. Thank you. Thank you. And it's just amazing how, you know, you're building up street soldiers throughout the years now allows you the ability to give real information to an audience 
that really those who are talking about this are not speaking to. So this information is crucial that you're doing um, every Sunday. Uh, your audience is not the audience that's listening to those briefings from the president, the governor, and the mayor. They're getting, you know, some real important facts. No, definitely. Well, thank you very much for that. Let me ask you, in terms of the uh, the weather getting warmer, you've been very outspoken about the way social distancing has been enforced. Uh, some critics have said that the city does not have a plan that really works given the nature of life in a city of 8.5 million people. Where do you think we are now with this whole issue of social distancing enforcement, which the racial disparities were playing from the numbers? Well, for, uh, the, the mayor has taken a, a step back from where he was. He announced a few days ago uh, he, he reached the realization that uh, social dis- distancing is a reculturing of behavior. It's not a criminal activity. And it's about having community-based groups, organizations, care of violence, bids, block associations, just people who know their neighborhood to play a real role. Police had no business being in the business of trying to uh, tell people to social distancing in an enforcement manner. As I stated and the mayor is starting to do now and the police department is doing, they should just give out uh, the face coverings and give people a soft reminder of the importance of social distancing. Now, are we going to get 100% of the people that's going to do it? No, we're not. Who are we kidding ourselves? I was out in Queens doing a mass giveaway to some uh, really amazing uh, community people. And at the number of times, Lisa, I had to tell them, hey, guys, six feet, six feet, six, six feet. You don't spend a lifetime of being around and close to people, hugging people, talking to people closely, and then all of a sudden you switch off and you're going to be standing six feet all the, all the time. So it's about a constant, soft reminder. Keep doing informational pieces, and we could get through this. Um, no, definitely. And, and I think, too, you know, especially as, as the weather gets warm and people have been cooped up, everybody wants to be around everybody, you know, and people just want so to be and, and feel feel some some kind of sense of of normalcy. Eric, what about in, t- in terms of the, the, the racial disparity in terms of who's getting the coronavirus? What is your take on yeah, that? Well, well, clearly, uh, that was the main purpose of the letter uh, that Jamani Williams and a group of 30-plus electeds uh, sent off to the U.S. Attorney, the, the Department of Justice. Uh, we believe there was clear, clear uh uh, civil rights violations uh, carried out in the city and country. When we started talk, speaking with our colleagues across the country, we saw similar patterns of the failure, failing to test, the lack of resources, uh, sending out those that we have classified as essential employees. Uh, now we are seeing that they're overwhelmingly black and brown, everything from the bus driver to the 9-11 operator. Uh, we saw clear patterns that the country did not do everything they should have done to prepare and protect of all our citizens. You can't divide the country up into those who can stay home, shelter in place, uh, practice social, social distancing, and then tell another body of Americans who are black and brown that they would uh, go out and do jobs by the nature of their job. They can't social distance. They can't shelter in place. And then you d- didn't give them personal protection equipment. And that, I believe, led to the high number of cases 
in communities of color. When I spoke to my, my presidents of hospital, Lisa, of over four or five weeks ago, they shared with me, Eric, for every 10 people who had COVID virus type symptoms that we tried to get tested for it so they wouldn't take it back home to their their family members, we were only approving one out of every 10. So I knew then that we have a problem here uh, that people were going home and infecting their loved ones. No, definitely. And then you add, you add that on to uh, the different, the lack of, uh, you know, lack of access to quality health care from the very beginning. Correct. Without uh, a doubt. Correct. And, and Eric, uh, thanks for having you again. Uh, I, we know even those that test positive, and we know that people that die specifically within our communities, um, you know, in Brooklyn, the Bronx, right, the Queens. But let's talk about Brooklyn, for example. When we, I, I was with Lisa, uh, you know, just last week uh, in Brooklyn, and just talking to people down there, and we literally had conversations with people, um, you, you know, that had more access to uh, to sodas than actual water, right? That have had diabetes for a long period of time, that had amputations, uh, that had were going for dialysis uh, treatments, and this and asthma. This this is a predominant within our communities, right? And, and so it's better going forward also for us to be to have a healthier community that even if they're positive, they could actually get out of it alive, right? Because today people I, think about okay. actually dying. So, so what are some I love of the that. things? I love that, and, and yeah, and and I I'm, I am I am talking now. I, I moved around this weekend and went to different uh, boroughs to look at the food the city is delivering to people who are requesting food. And doctor, when you looked in the bags uh, at the food that people were given, it, it is the food that aggravates uh, their diabetes, for example. And remember, diabetes is the umbrella disease. When people hear the term pre-existing condition, that's just a fancy term for chronic diseases. So if I'm giving you food that's going to spike your sugar, that's going to uh, continue to uh, compromise your immune system, uh, you know, your body will be a host for health or a host for disease. And we're feeding people food from the city that is actually aggravating their chronic diseases and is putting them in a position that is comp- compromising uh, their health. And so this is so important, what the doctor said. Our communities must get prepared, get prepared uh, for health. We, the unhealthy environment, the fast food, the junk food, the sugary drinks, uh, the fried food, the, you know, just the bombardment of unhealthy foods and unhealthy lifestyle in our communities is really uh, harming us. 94% of the people who died from COVID-19 um, had um, pre-existing conditions, and over 90% of the people who were hospitalized had pre-existing conditions. That is the definition of our communities. C- correct. And so I, I, I'm glad uh, you know, we share that, that same uh, mission, vision here, right? Because what, what is happening here is COVID-19 is it just put a magnifying glass onto what is actually happening within our communities. We have people dying from cancers, dying from, 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 from asthma, you, you know, uh, diabetes. Uh, but there's nothing being done with, you know, as an effort to actually prevent it. So I think the same as we think about, you know, uh, providing uh, private, uh, like, like protective equipment uh, to individuals within communities, the hand sanitizers, it should be the exact same kind of mindset we should t- take going forward. Because in the future, we'll still lose people from these conditions, right? And, and the next uh, pandemic that comes up, we'll lose even more people. So having healthier people and healthier communities will have less death rates than what we are seeing today. And Eric, and- so important. So important. 
But see, we need to hear what the doctor saying and then do a review of what everyone on the executive levels, levels, from the president to the governor to the mayor, no one is talking about the prevention, the fighting COVID-19 and viruses of the future. Because this is this is pandemic. This is not a one-shot deal, folks. People need to really understand this. But fighting these viruses, you must have an intervention plan to help people who who will have it, and then you must have a prevention plan. And the prevention plan, no one is talking about that prevention plan, that the heart of the prevention plan is to prevent people from going in the hospital in the first place. Diabetes, heart disease, hypertension. Diabetes is the number one cause of blindness, number one cause of non-limb amputation, leading cause of heart disease, leading cause of kidney failure. So if we target just diabetes, if we bring a 50% 50% reduction in diabetes in our community, like my Bellevue project, which is lifestyle medicine, teaching people to eat to heal, we can actually prevent these cases in the, in the future. Correct. And diabetes is an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease, independent of that, right? So just having diabetes puts you at higher risk of having heart disease, like just independent. So it's very important uh, to manage that. Right. And, there, and Eric, you did your own jur- health journey with that to conquer that. Yes, I was, at least I lost sight. I was blind in my left eye. The doctor told me, Eric, you got to turn in your driver's license. You cannot legally drive anymore. You're legally blind. Wow. You know, I had permanent nerve damage in my hands and feet. Uh, the doctor said, Eric, you're going to lose some, some, some fingers and some toes. I had high blood pressure, had an ulcer, high cholesterol. My PSA, which is indicator of prostate problems, was high. Within three weeks of changing my diet from the fried Greasy, sugary, processed food. Within three weeks, my vision came back. Three months, my diabetes went in remission. My nerve damage went away. No drugs, no insulin um, at all. My 80-year-old mother followed me. Uh, in two months, after being on insulin for seven years, 15 years diabetic, you know, mom was off her insulin. It's, 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 we could heal. And if we heal, we have a better fighting chance to deal with these these chronic diseases and these viruses that are coming into our communities. No, thank you. And and I think that's uh, the other message that we should be pushing in, uh, like pushing out here, right? And and it's great to see, you know, it's to see leaders. Too, correct, really? to see leaders like yourself. So this is not, you are within the community. People see you, people relate to you, this kind of leadership within uh, the community, right? People sit and say, I can do it too. Um, Right, and making this available to people and sharing these kind of stories. I think it's very important to get our community prepared and rather than just focus on the idea of gloves and, and, and uh, alcohol wipes. And Eric, do you without think... Without a doubt, that's a setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I said, without a doubt, and doctors write a setup. And I tell people all the time, when people read my bio, I say, listen, don't read all those positives. Put the negatives in there, you know, because I don't demystify Eric Adams. You know, Eric Adams is a guy that has fallen so many times, but the will to get back up. In this healthcare, you know, people look at themselves and see injecting themselves, taking pills every day. They feel, okay, I can't turn my life around. No, that's not true. That's not. That is not your destiny. You know, you we can turn this around and and don't give our lives away to people who are only going to treat our symptoms. When I was said I, when I was told I was diabetic, my son said, "Hey, Dad, you know, I watch you put the best oil in your BMW. You didn't put the best food in your body. We we concern more about those external things than the internal things. 
And so the hell with my car. Let that damn thing break down. My body is not going to break down. And that is what I want to inspire our people to know, that we could we can be empowered to fight these diseases that are really starting to saturate our community. Oh, look at the large number of cases these our babies are getting uh, with this uh, possible uh Kawasaki uh, syndrome, you know, so we need information like what you're doing, Lisa, and the doctor's doing is empowering, and then that must transfer into action from our electeds and our also our our advocates. We must change the course of health care. That's crucial. No, absolutely, Eric, and it, it's all, it's also uh, it's also empowering too, because especially for communities that are you know, challenged in so many different ways and people have who have groups that have higher risks and then given the whole racial disparities in so many of these aspects, it's just it's anything that people can do to empower themselves, I'm with it. Correct, especially now people so are staying true, home so and, and, and eating on chips and, and drinking sodas at home. You're actually putting yourself at higher risk if you actually get do get sick. No, exactly. Eric, listen. And, 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 that's, and, and doctor, doctor, that's what the city when you look at uh, City Harvest, the food bank, um, all of these foods they're sending to the pantries in the poor communities. I was blown away when I looked at these chips. Uh, all the food, Pringles, uh, you know, uh, sweet, processed food. I said, wait a minute, what are they doing here? You know, my, my mother's not going to eat this. You know, we're giving our seniors food that is actually putting them in the process of going to the hospital. Now, our hospitals have to be equalized, uh, Lisa. Let's not get this wrong. Right. You can't have a hospital system in Manhattan that is filled with all the resources they need when someone is ill. Uh, the, the PPP money that came down to our hospitals, the billions of dollars, the overwhelming amount went to the affluent uh, hospitals and not our safety net hospitals. We got to fight to make sure that's equal, that downstate shouldn't have to wait for the roach machine that could, that could test a thousand people a day. So we have to fight for that. But the real goal for me is to prevent us from having to even knock on that hospital door in the first place. Exactly. That's the mission. That's the, that's the mission. Eric, thank you so much for being with us. We thank really you. appreciate it. Brooklyn Borough Take President. Care. Thank you. Thank you. Brooklyn Borough President uh, Eric Adams. And a lot of people are looking at him as a mayoral candidate, potential mayoral candidate for for the city of New York. So we'll see what happens with that. But his, his message about health, very important, and he's taking it to a grassroots level. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. I know a lot of people have been hanging on on hold for a very long time. David, Maggie, Alice, Youssef, everybody hang on there. We've got Dr. Mandy who's going to take your questions and calls right after this. Listen up. Keep connected with us. Keep connected with us on your radio, online, on our app, and on all smart speakers. Hot 97, the number one station for hip-hop. This is Hot 97 Street Soldiers, hosted by Lisa Evers. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Uh, Dr. Manny is with us, and we have a lot of phone calls and not a whole lot of time. So we're going to just go right through these calls, okay? Let's go to uh, Maggie right now. Maggie, hi, you're on hey, Hot 97. Hey. hey, Maggie? Yes, hello, yes, it's Maggie. You're on hi, Hot 97? I have a sure. Yes, I wanted to know, first off, I wanted to say, Shout out to my EMS providers. It's EMS Week. Um, oh, yeah, and I definitely. Wanna, yeah. So I work as a New York City paramedic. But I'm very concerned. And it's not like if I understand, I want to ask the question 100%, but I'm going to throw my thoughts out there just on something that, as a mom, I'm beyond concerned. So now, as EMS providers, as healthcare workers in general, we are all exposed to what's going on. We bring this home. Sometimes 
our kids are already testing positive. They may not present with signs of symptoms. But being that they're saying that the COVID has been spreading throughout months and it lingers. And as a mom, I'm beyond nervous, like, oh, my gosh. So you mean to tell me when it's time for school or this summer and we don't even know yet what's going on? Like, my anxiety goes through the roof. (laughs) So at this point, it's like, I don't even know how to, you know, like, calm it down a bit, not to think too hard into it. I don't even know, like, what can I read on? Should I just stop reading on it? Because if we've already tested, you know, and certain things have happened, it's like, well, I'm scared for the general public in general, but I'm also scared that, you know, my daughter will present with something later on. Well, I think you can't, I think, I think all you can do, and I'll have uh, Dr. Manny weigh in on this in, ter- in terms of precautions. Uh, there, there's some parents, there, there's some parents that are, even before this weekend, we're trying to arrange safe distancing play dates with their children, which was, you know, that's not going to happen because as soon as the kids see their friends, they're going to, they're going to be all together and, and all over, all over each other. And then with school, there's a strong possibility. You know, we have to see what happens throughout the summer and by September, this remote learning then could be going on for, you know, a period of time. But, but Dr. Manny, what advice do you have for Maggie in terms of how she should stay abreast, uh, you know, what her best practices for the kids, especially going into the summer period? Yes, I, I think the best the, the best way to answer that question and the best um, way to position um, you know ourselves is to think about it as we are doing everything to mitigate risk, right? So all we all we can do is try to decrease our risk of having a disease. So even if you are not um, even a frontline worker, or you could be safe at work, and then maybe you touch that doorknob or something, right? Or maybe you know, we know it's in the air. What if you were picking up food and <laughs> came from the air, right? There are multiple ways. And so we can't right. live paranoid life, right? I mean, you can't just walk around terrified and paranoid. What we can do is decrease risk. Same way to explain this is after 9-11, we could have been paralyzed by, ter- by terrorism, but what do we do? I mean, we, we put in police officers everywhere, you know, watch out if you see anything suspicious, report it. Same kind of mindset, right? We became like a more of like vigilante kind of mindset. So it's the same kind of thing. And, and so not everyone is fortunate enough to say, Hey, I, I can have a second home. I, I don't, I don't have to go home, right? I could let my kids stay in, at home. And even last or week. Or have a yard, right? Correct. Well, Dr. Mix, um, called Dr. Migliera called us last week. Um, and he's a critical care physician in the front lines. And he said he hadn't seen his kids in weeks, like I think five weeks at that point, right? And right. He was, to keep them safe. To keep them safe. And the doctors staying in their garages, the nurses staying in their garages, right? People are not going home. And so this is like a, a real problem that, that is being faced, but you can't live in fear forever, right? So I understand the concerns, which is why we're making that point of doing the best you can to decrease risk, but also making sure that your body's healthy. So even if you do get sick, you can make it out of it. That's the challenge that we have to do. And some of these things, some of these things too that the moms do, they have like a little song that the kids do. So they know they have to sing a certain part of the song to some people use happy birthday. Other people use other things so that they wash their hands enough to show them the right way to wash their hands. So it becomes part of their, their normal little ritual. Correct. And, and, and especially kids, right? So the, the easy part here is, you know, as an adult, maybe you could remember not to put your fingers in your nose or your mouth. But if, but the more you think about it, the more your nose start getting itchy, right? As soon as I say nose, and I feel like my nose just got itchy, right? <laughs> right? If you say don't touch your mouth, your mouth gets itchy. Like you have to be right. touching or something, <laughs> right? So as I think it's about awareness, understanding, do not touch your face. And the reason why make kids understand why you could decrease the risk. And hopefully we'll all make it. No, absolutely. All right, let's go to uh, Yusuf right now. Yusuf, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Yes, how you doing, Lisa? Right. And uh, good morning, uh, uh, Dr. Manny. I have a question. 
Um, I, your comment about the pool earlier, um, I, I was figuring that the chlorine in the water would kill the, the virus. Oh, good question. What about that, Dr. Manny? Correct. So, so what are the different pools that you're talking about? The chlorinated pools and pools that don't have chlorine in it, right? Yes. Yeah, so the idea here is if you have water with chlorine inside that is high disinfectant, and then, yeah, of course, if you put body fluids in there, then it, it kills it. And then you also cause the chlorine, <laughs> whatever uh, that is. Yeah. So, so it could work in that case. But is it so you could go in that kind of area and then look at if a chlorinated pool, I'm sure this place that sure you could go in if it kills the virus. But even more concerning than just th- thank you very much for the call, Yusuf. Even more concerning than just the cl- the chlorine in the pool is when you're around the pool, you people are not going to be six feet apart from each other, you know, on the deck. Correct. It's going to be incredible swimming skills, right? <laughs> <laughs> to be in the pool and then maintain six feet and then come around. Going to the pool is supposed to be like a fun, relaxing environment. I mean, that's what it's supposed to be. Right? Exactly. Correct. And have fun. And so if you should show up to go to the pool and you have to stand in line and then there's six feet things and you have to wait for people to swim, get out, walk out, then you go in. I, I think just a, a very complicated. It just gets stressful. <laughs> just stressful right and, there. And the bathrooms. You have to go to the bathrooms oh, in the gosh. pool with all that stuff, right? No, so, they, had, they had the state park in New Jersey where they opened the, the, the first, you know, when they first opened the state parks a week and a half ago and they didn't have the public bathrooms open. And so people were using bottles and things like that as their portable toilets and left the bottles all behind for the state police. Correct. So, yeah, so if you go to a pool, so it's yeah, like all these, I think it's important to make sure yeah, things, it's chlorinated yeah. and, it, and there's some kind of disinfectant around to make sure it's safe. And, and as Dr. Jeff would say, be prepared. Prepare yourself mentally before you go out. Correct. That things are going to take longer. It's not going to be the way it always is. And just stay calm no matter what. All right, let's go to Dennis right now. Dennis, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Good morning, Lisa, and good morning, doctor. First, thank you for reducing my anxiety for lowering the, uh, anxiety regarding this cultural shock, as the doctor was saying before, uh, Dr. Gardin. Um, my question is, uh, and, and before I can, uh, I would like to uh, give a shout-out to somebody in Bronx. I know that the Very Bronx quick, though, got, Dennis, you know the shout-out ban. Absolutely. Only on Mother's Day uh, do we shout-out. A lot uh, of shout-outs. Just Phil. And uh, I would like to ask a question uh, is um, as of today uh, for non-essential workers and just the people in general, uh, what is the percentage of people actually have the masks uh, on their hand in Germany? And I'm not talking about the ones from Home Depot. I'm talking about like N95, the one that's required. Like how many people have it who are not essential workers, you mean? Yes, to be more specific. In other words, if I go outside, what what, what should I be expecting? Like any anybody that uh, is out there. Okay. Uh, so sure. Dennis, the, the, let me get a response from from Dr. Manny. Sure. The overall guidance is now that we have shortages of N95s, and so we should uh, leave those for our frontline workers, right? Because uh, there, there, it's higher risk. Um, and then so everyone else is going towards... Um, Different kinds of my what is clothing, and that's what most people are wearing uh, instead of N95s. Right, the fabric of, ones. Yeah, or, these, or these disposable surgical disposable masks. Disposable ones, correct, because we don't have enough for every single person, right? And, and so, but then, of course, we know we ha- there's someone at, you know, someone in Brooklyn that had, like, a whole shop with, like, hoarding all the N95s, <laughs> like, like, in there, right? So it's kind of, right. it's, it's very hard to actually tell who, who has all, like, toilet paper, who has all the toilet paper and no one else has, right? right exactly. Kind of thing. Who has it and who do- who doesn't have it. All right, let's go to... Uh, uh, let's go to uh, David right now. David, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi, hi. Good morning. Great show. Real quick. First, I just wanted to put a shout out. I'm a retired teacher who still subs. There's a lot of 
a great, wonderful, loyal substitute teachers who are working the rec centers, they don't have any health benefits. And we've been trying for that. So that's just a shout out and to commend them. But for the doctor, uh, first of all, I commend your, your, your comments. Do you, does the doctor see this, as I perhaps do, as a wonderful learning opportunity? Probably not having happened since the 19th, I'm an older guy, since the uh, polio sock saving thing back in the 60s. Does he see, and I'll get off there, does he see this as a learning opportunity in the schools for students to really, you know, get on board with public health and all that? That's it. That's a great show. Oh, because we haven't, uh, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Because we really haven't focused on the term public health. Like, like a lot of people didn't realize how do, dirty New York really was till they started cleaning it. Correct. I mean, we had public health workers uh, in, in general, right. and, but public health or infectious disease was not something that was like hot up there, right? And so, public health, uh, like other public health workers, were talking about prevention, you know, around diabetes, heart failure. They've been writing about this forever, and no one was actually paying attention to it. Uh, but now with this pandemic, that has been exposed, right? And so we need to say, yes, when you look at the, the polio and the salt uh, vaccines uh, period of what happened in the past, uh, and you had the anti-vaxxers, right? We're talking about, oh, vaccines are wrong and all this. And, and, but you have public health people. So today, that's what I'm saying. We are, what is being exposed is the kind of health system that we had in the place, how, how we're living our lives. I think uh, that's what is exposing, right? If you look at the death rates. All the shortages, correct, all the inequities. The, the communities, that it, people that had low access to health care. Um, you know, we just, talk, we just spoke to, uh, to Eric Adams uh, earlier today, and he mentioned even when the PPEs came in, they went to what? The, health, the, the wealthier parts of the city, <laughs> right? They were not in the hood or in the projects, right? That's not where things were. Right. The same thing about access to care being in the wealthier areas and the poor people, they have access to care. So that's what's being exposed. And so what we are saying is the poor people are dying. They're frontline workers. They have the comorbid conditions. Let's do something different going forward. So in the future, we could prevent this. Definitely. And then in terms of this vaccine piece, the 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 talk is, OK, 12 to 18 months or that they really need a vaccine before things can really start to open up like the, um, you know, public events and shows and concerts, because all of our our DJ friends and entertainers are, are taking a huge hit here. But a vaccine, do you buy this 12 months to a year and a half timeline to get one going? I like to be realistic and then just set expectations, right? Because I don't want people to live in like this falsehood piece, right? And I'll give a couple of examples. Yes, we are fortunate that we have over a hundred, uh, you know, clinical trials going on for for vaccines. And I hope that uh, this multiple shots on goal, and we hope that we hit one. Let's not forget that there's also something like HIV. And we've been working on vaccines since the beginning of time, and right since the eighties, they're working on vaccines. And we still don't have a vaccine, right? And so. Yes, we are trying to find, do a vaccine here. Uh, we hope that we start getting results from the first clinical trials 12 to 18 months from now. We'll get results. But it doesn't mean there'll be a vaccine available 12 to 18 months from now. And even if we have a positive study to show that a vaccine actually works, right? One of the studies. Right, because you got to make sure it works, first of all, right? That's what I'm saying. So 12 to 18 months, we'll find out if it works. And if it works, then we have to get to the point of mass production. Uh, to actually produce to make sure it's available for every single person in the country, right? Um, to, but to make sure. But we are hopeful that where science is today and the amount of hard work being put behind this and the resources being put behind this, that hopefully, and we've known about, about other kind of coronaviruses, that we'll have enough knowledge and information to actually have something. Uh, but I would say 12, 18 months at best. That's that's like at the, the super fastest. Now, this is if everything goes perfect. <laughs> Which usually does... <laughs> Correct. Which usually doesn't happen. Yes. And then isn't there is there a certain amount, a certain element to this vaccine testing, too, where you have to see the effects on 
real human beings over time. Like you can't just use the lab rats or, or whatever. Correct. So, so the, the way these things work is first you test it in, in animals, right, before to make sure it works and ensure that it works. Right, you have safety and efficacy. Then the next thing you do is something called phase one study, where you take healthy people that are not sick, and then you, you give them a drug or a vaccine or whatever to see if they have any kind of safety issues. So you're not you're not testing if it works. You're testing if it's safe in normal people. So then after that, you go into a point where you're looking at if it works and is it safe, right? And if that's at that point after that, then you actually get a drug in the market. So he has to go through these multiple phases. All right. So so twelve to eighteen months. We'll keep our fingers. Uh, Keep our fingers crossed on that. Let's right. go to Alice right now. Alice, hi, you're on Hot 97. Go right ahead. Hi. Um, Yusuf kind of took my question about the chlorine in the pool, but I'm also asking about the um, beaches with the waves, that you know. And has anybody really tested the waters to see if coronavirus lives in it? Or I know that it's it could be transmitted through um Oh, that's a great question. Has anybody really done a test on that? Is it living in the water right now? And the second question, when the vaccine vaccine comes out, do you think it'll be a mandate for everybody will have to take this have this vaccine? All right, two good questions. Alice, thank you thank you very much. Dr. Manny, on her first one, if coronavirus is transmitted through these quote unquote moisture droplets, is coronavirus in water? Can it be in the ocean? Correct. I mean, it's like any other droplet of something that could be in the ocean, right? Uh, but, you know, we know the ocean is salty. For example, what about rivers? Okay, there's no salt in rivers. Can it, can it live in the river? Of course. I mean, it's just like any other fluid. But that, the hope here is that because of the volume of the ocean that you will not happen to, right? I mean, the it's going to be so minuscule. Correct, correct. It's just decreasing risk, right? I mean, that, that's the best Because the ocean do. and then the tides going in is actually moving things around and pulling things out. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot more things in the water and the ocean that are actually worse than actually coronavirus or anything else, right? Right. <laughs> there's a lot of things that are in, the, in rivers and, and oceans. So I think if you go in, it's fine. We can't be terrified of these things. So if you go in the water, take a swim, that's, that's okay. What we know is uh, we, we know a human-to-human transmission. We know about that. So what we're trying to do is decrease that risk. You're most likely to get from another human than getting from jumping in the ocean. For example, right? So no, exactly. So. And then what about to her? What about to her other question about the, um, the when they do come up with a vaccine, does it have to be mandatory? And do you think they will try to make it mandatory in order to make it more effective? Well, there are two ways of making things mandatory. One you could say is mandatory, or, or one you could say you need it to get into something, right? So there's two right. ways. So if you need a vaccine to fly and you don't have a vaccine card, then you can't fly, then <laughs> you're kind of excluded. People will be getting it, right? Correct. Right. So there are different ways of doing it, right? Uh, right. So, uh, or, so, so these things happen. So do I think if, if, if there was a, a concert and they said everyone that comes into this concert must have uh, a vaccine card and, and, yeah, do I feel safe going that way? Of course I feel safe going that way, going in if everyone is, right? So I think, yes, I, I think society will be split up in a point where those that have, uh, have antibody tests positive and negative tests or those that have vaccinated, have been vaccinated will have different rights than those that have, uh, that haven't. Uh, it's like credit check, right? If you, if you have credit, you, you better off buying more stuff than if you have no credit. Right, exactly. <laughs> You're not forced to get a credit card, but you, you need a credit card. Right, you need so one to do anything, basically. Correct. Same kind of concept. That's what's going to happen. All right, let, um, I think we got pretty much all the uh, all all the questions and calls here. What do, oh, I don't even have that much time. Okay, all right, Dr. Manny, thank you so much for being with us again. We appreciate it, Dr. Emmanuel. We call him Dr. Manny Fambu. He's a medical doctor with an MD and MBA, and best-selling author 
of the book, The Future of Healthcare and a Medical Futurist. We also want to thank Dr. Jeff Gardier, America's top clinical psychologist, uh, for being with us once again, helping us understand, just understand what we're going through has uh, been really tricky. And also we want to thank Brooklyn Borough President, possible mayoral candidate, Eric Adams, for uh, talking with us about the racial disparities, the civil rights issues, and also the, uh, you know, people, the way people can empower themselves by taking better care of their, of their own health. So I want to thank all of you for joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. Uh, check me out on Fox 5 News at 6 and 10 tonight. Remember all the chinks info on Fox 5 NY YouTube. Um, Remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace, love, and health.